Blog Talk Radio. Hi, good evening. Caitlin Hayes here from Holistic Life Coaching Services and Spiritualize Yourself. And this evening, I'm excited to talk about a very dear venture of mine called Lawyers Gone Google um, from the spiritual perspective here. And I have a wonderful guest this evening who is an author of some uh, best-selling books uh, published by Amazon. And we're going to discuss this evening her work in the integrative law movement and the conscious contract development, which is a very interesting field that's developing. And it's something that I'm really excited to talk about. So while we wait for introducing Kim... As a practitioner of law, an interesting segue in is we have an opportunity to bring into our practice, into our interactions with our clients and opposing counsel, a different sense of um, understanding of the bigger picture uh, and the space to kind of get to that part of it. So every profession has its challenges and law clearly does as well, and some of it is the business model that's a little flawed, and um, and the like. So now I'm going to welcome Kim in. Hi, Kim. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. So I'm really excited to have you. I did the segue into this and um, if you'd like to go into who you are in the sense of the evolution of your pioneering in this field you know where did it start for you to consider an alternative model of lawyering okay (laughs) all right well that's how uh that's always a hard question because I can point to a lot of different things, but I think the thing that i uh am thinking about right now is that I went to law school because I had a house full of kids I had seven kids at home, and uh it was a really complicated family. There were nine parents of the seven kids, and I was married <laughs> to a guy <laughs> I was married to a guy who liked civil disobedience. Um, he was actually a libertarian activist, and he kept getting arrested. And um, and so there was just a lot of legal stuff going on in the house. And I decided to go to law school, and I I did okay in law school. And um, and uh, but I I really didn't expect to practice. And in fact, some of the things that happened to me in law school were not um, very conducive to me wanting to be part of that community. I just you know, I. I came out thinking, well, lawyers are jerks, and I don't want to be a jerk, and so there's no place for me in the law. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I went and did a, to do a lot of other things. I was the director of a domestic violence program. I worked on some nonprofits because I've always been sort of wired to make a difference in the world, and that's the way I thought was I was going to do it. But I was I did a lot of personal growth work, and uh, there's sort of there was personal growth over here. And you know my spiritual work and everything in a container separate from being a lawyer, and um, and then I was in a program um, in Atlanta, Georgia, 
And this guy stood up and he introduced himself. And he said, my name is Forrest Baird and I'm a lawyer. So he got my attention. He said, in in my practice, I uh, represent people who are going through divorce and I treat them all with dignity, my client and the other client. And it's my goal that at the end of the divorce, they will be friends. And it was like mm. the whole sky opened up. You know, those cartoons that you see, everything goes from black and white to color. And, you know, the birds sing and the butterflies fly out. And um, it was just like like my whole life changed because I realized that it was possible to be a lawyer and not be a jerk. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I, um, I had moved to a state where I wasn't a member of the bar, so I had to take the bar again. I passed three bars in the first five years I was out of law school. And uh, so I went and became a lawyer, and I hung up my shingle and uh, started practicing. And I discovered that, indeed, a lot of the lawyers that I came in touch with were jerks. But then, by then I could see that there, first of all, I could see there was another possibility. And second, I could see how the system was wired for that. The system was created that... um, uh, you know that adversarial attitude of uh, smashing the other side, like zealous advocacy meant actually destroying the other side and not having that big picture sense of wait a minute, you know we have to live together in the on the planet if not you know if not in the same town or um, you know like people who are raising their kids together they have to they have to find a way to work it out, and people who are in business don't want to be estranged from everybody uh, else in the business community. And so I, uh, I thought, okay, so now I know something else is possible. What am I going to do about it? And uh, so I went back to Forrest Baird, and I found out that what he was doing was uh, had, had a name. It was called Collaborative Law, and that uh, it was invented by a guy in Minnesota called Stu Webb, and it, it, that, this was in the mid-1990s. So, um, you know, it, all of this was really new, but then there was something called mediation. And then eventually, uh, in the, towards the end of the 90s, I found things like restorative justice, and I found therapeutic jurisprudence, and I, I found all of these different things that nobody else was talking about. And they weren't even talking to each other necessarily. Some of them were. I, mm-hmm. I did a whole holistic law conference and I I just decided then that it was going to be my mission to make sure that lawyers knew about this and that they knew that there were options that they could be themselves and still be a lawyer and so seeing the difference that Forrest had made for me and uh, and being able to try other ways of practice I I wanted to do that for other people and so I started experimenting with all these different ways to practice law in my law practice. I uh, started writing contracts in plain language, which was also really new. And I started uh, doing um, things that, uh, you know, even, even if I went to court, I was treating everybody with such dignity that the judges started noticing and commenting on it. And I, and I was winning cases. Like I'm, I'm like a really, really good litigator. And uh, but I I did it in um, a way that was an integrity for me. And when I won, then the other lawyers in town started saying, "Well, maybe maybe there's something to this." <laughs> so I was in a 
small town in North Carolina, and I said, if it can be done here, it can be done anywhere. And uh, in the late 90s, I started a website to talk about all of these things. And, uh, and what was that website? What was it, it, well, it's, the website is now just sort of a placeholder. At that point, it was a 400-page uh, website uh, back in the old way of doing websites. It was called renaissancelawyer.com. And we had over 100,000 visitors the first year. And this was before we knew how to, I mean, like there were no things there to track who was visiting or whatever. But my phone started ringing. And all these lawyers who said, you know, I didn't think anybody else was even thinking about any of this. And so they started calling me. And, um, you know, I had my phone number out there at that point. It was, you know, public number. And uh, my email address. And so I, I spent um, several months of just answering the phone of people finding the site and having conversations. And that's when I said, there's really something going on here. This is something lawyers really want. And it makes them better for their clients. So that, that was sort of the beginning of my mission of, uh, of bringing this to people. And over the, over the years, I've been in and out. I've practiced law in three different um, cities and had my own law practice and always used it as a laboratory for these new ideas. No, that's exciting. That's really exciting. And then so I understand the concept to enter into it is really um, reassuring. I have a question from the spiritual perspective of, you know, the shift when you started seeing more of the jerk lawyers to going to seeing more of the enlightened path attorneys and how originally you had perceived lawyers as being kind of jerks and perhaps that bringing the jerks to you more readily and just that shift when you started to shift and see, oh, lawyers can be trying to help people and help, you know, evolve society. Well, I think I think that some of it was that, that I was looking for the jerkiness in them. I also think that that I assumed it was them and not the role they felt compelled to take on. And so I, I was putting the label jerk on the lawyer rather than looking to see what what they thought they needed to do. Like, like there was this whole thing um, that's actually gone from the ABA rules, the whole idea of zealous advocacy, that people basically were told they had to be jerks. And, it, and you know, now over the last um, 10 or 20 years, there have been a lot of studies that actually show that jerkiness is not effective, that, you know, being a jerk um, doesn't help you win trials because people don't like you when you're a, a jerk, um, and it doesn't help you reach settlement at all. It doesn't give you a better settlement. In fact, people, uh, in some of the studies, they show that they get less because they're being jerky. And that people don't want to be generous. Yeah, they don't want to be generous with somebody who's being a jerk. And yet we went to law school and learned, or most of us did, how to be jerks with each other. And they didn't label it as that, but it was like, you know, be aggressive and be assertive and, you know, all of these things um, about how to be a lawyer. And a lot of the older lawyers knew that wasn't the way. You know, they they were sort of tried and true. They figured it out on their own. But especially the young lawyers out of, right out of law school, they they just hit the ground fighting. 
and and I also got a lot of compassion because you know when I'm looking at lawyers, I don't have to look very far. You know, I I am one, and a lot of the things that go on for me are the things that go on for other lawyers. And I got a mm-hmm. lot of compassion for these people who were really nice people, but they've been put into a system where they uh, thought, and sometimes wrongly, but they thought they were supposed to be jerks. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that happened. But then the other thing is, I started writing and I started being out there as a holistic lawyer, and the lawyers started. Like, like stopping me in the hall, or I had one who would drop by my office um, under the guise of looking for somebody else. Like, I, I was on the street in front of the courthouse, and so he'd say, "I thought I saw Bob come in here. Did Bob come in here?" And I would say, "No, Bob isn't here." He said, "Well, can I sit here for a minute? Because I'm sure I saw Bob go by, and he'll walk by in a minute, and we'll be able, I'll be able to catch him." okay, you can sit here. And then he would have these conversations with me that were like his heart's desire and about how he was really thinking about quitting law because he was so miserable. And um, and so, I, you know, I became like a counselor to these people, so I got to know that they weren't um, the jerks that I thought they were. They really, you know, were trapped by the system. And so, I, Frank, as you offering spiritual coaching, yeah, exactly. It helped you to attach to them more individually. Yes, yes. And so then, I, yeah, up until that point, I would have said I hated lawyers. I probably did say it. I hated lawyers. They, you know, they were not the people I wanted to have social time with, and they weren't they weren't people that I, um, you know, had a had a good feeling about. And during during the years that I was starting to transform my own practice and and to uh, transform myself, I I came to just um, really have a lot of love and compassion for lawyers. You know, we're so busy, and and you know, this neuroscience and the you know biology shows that when you're when you're that busy, that uh, they the one of the first things to go is relationship. You know, it's like you're so stressed out, you don't have access to that part of your brain that is able to uh, be relational. And so uh, so learning that and then looking at the profession through a more educated perspective, I, uh, I just have come to just really love and, uh, and respect lawyers for, uh, for getting up every day and doing it again. Right, I miss all of it. So your your big your your new book that's coming out, Lawyers as Changemakers. Where are you see the movement? Um, just kind of jumping to the chase of the current status of it. Where do you see the movement in the next three to five years? How do you perceive that evolution? Well, I've actually been so on a day to day basis. It feels like things change really slowly. But when I started practicing in the mid nineties which, you know, 20 years ago, uh, more or less, the mediation was a brand-new thing. And now there's mediation everywhere. And, um, and, and that's, that's an example. I was like, the law is about precedent. It's designed to change very, very slowly. And yet in 20 years, something like mediation, which I consider to be part of the law and not – some people consider it a separate profession. I consider it to be part of the law, and part of that is because I saw a study that um, more than half of lawyers wanted to be mediators. 
but they didn't, you know, there weren't an, there wasn't enough demand was the reason they gave for not doing it. And so, uh, you know, during that time, the um, problem-solving courts were brought in um, in 1989 in Miami and the 91 in, uh, in California, and that's revolutionized the um, the whole issue with drugs and you know, like societal problems are now handled in court in a different way. Uh, there are thousands of problem-solving courts. I, you know, somewhere between two and three on the 3,000 uh, side of problem-solving courts that are doing things like helping people get off drugs and um, and get their lives together rather than putting them in prison. And you know that's a therapeutic approach that is evidence-based, and it's um, and I, I, some of the people I know that are dear friends of mine are are um, people who've been pushing that movement along and doing the training, and um, and miracles happen. You know, people instead of ending up on the street and and um, dying or you know being a burden on society, they are uh, becoming productive citizens, they get their kids out of foster care, they, um, you know, get married and um, and go off and um, almost never go to jail. Like when they complete the drug court, they almost never go to jail. So that's an example. Thousands of those courts now, They're, most communities have them. And, um, and things like um, the, uh, I'm trying to pick it, sharing law. Sharing law didn't exist probably until... Well, in the 2000s, and uh, but it's in response to the whole movement towards a consume, uh, you know, like a, a sharing economy, the collaborative economy, which um, is a is a really um, big movement. But lawyers had nothing to offer that until a woman uh, named Janelle Orsi said, "I really want to help people share." And so she started out by writing a book for NOLO on if you want to start a tool library in your neighborhood, how do you do it? And what are the things to be concerned about? And what are the um, you know, kinds of contracts you would want for that? And, uh, and if you want to uh, do uh, community agriculture, what do you do? And uh, all of those sorts of things that she brought under one roof and called sharing law. And so, you know, I mean, I could go on. There are about my book has maybe two dozen of uh, those kinds of approaches, and I'll talk a little bit about conscious contracts in a little while. But to answer this question, there all of these different models are emerging where people are designing based on what's wanted and needed now, not on the basis of what's always been. And so that uh, uh, lawyers mm-hmm. as changemakers is about that. The manuscript was 808 pages. I think they are trying to squeeze it into 550 uh, in the book. But um, it, you know, it, it's um, it talks about the growth of this movement. My first book, Lawyers as Peacemakers, was sort of the beginning of it, and now it, you know there are the new things um, completely. And I used to think that I could meet everybody who was involved in this. And we um, in 2000. 10 or 11, I think it was 11, we had a conference of a lot of the different innovators, and, and at that point they said, we really need to have a name that covers all of us, and they came up with the name Integrative Law. 
And at that point, integrative law was was not something in common use. In fact, we tried to do a Wikipedia page, and they said, this is not in common use. This would only be promoting a few people, and so they turned us down. But now if you look at integrative law, there are lots and lots of people who are calling themselves integrative lawyers. And then I'm meeting a lot of people as I travel around the world who are um, who are being integrative lawyers, but they don't know it has a name. So my my first book probably had had 35 contributors, and it probably mentioned 100 people. And my second book has 111 contributors. And every day I think of, gosh, you know, I could write another one that had hundreds of others. And uh, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, they're, they slash we are creating ways of integrating our whole selves into law practice that is um, – um, these these new ways are better for society, are better for us, um, better for our clients, and uh, and then just really exciting. Absolutely, as a practitioner, I'm I'm understanding that segue too. Understanding that it's safe to be in this space because ultimately you have to earn a living with it. So you right. you have to still find the right clients and that's I'm interested in this component of the conscious contracts. We spoke about this part briefly earlier, but just from a, a practitioner vantage point, you know, how do you engage in creating the environment that you want to draft a contract and your client maybe is going through you know, a range of emotions that maybe want it to be an unfair contract and you have that consideration which is obviously the most important if you're dealing on that level, right? I mean, it's all just the same from the perception from lawyers being jerks to, you know, maybe more enlightened. Uh, so I think as we evolve as practitioners, we ultimately will try to get those other cases or try to support our clients in evolving. Um, but, you know, you've got to start somewhere. You have to start where you are. So clearly, you know, it's not going to be instant. But um, when you're talking about conscious contracts and meeting the needs of the contract itself. I'm all almost inferring it like that. It's like the contract being a separate entity and trying to create, you know, a, a fairness of connection of, you know, mind, soul, body kind of uh, influence into the final product. Well, you know, I hadn't thought about it quite in those words. But uh, as a separate person, you know, I mean, clearly corporations are. But the um, it's more, I think, uh, you know, to start thinking about it in your terms, it's more of a blending. So, you know, conscious contracts are based on solid legal principles, and they, but they're instead of creating an adversarial relationship where you're trying to you're trying to win the deal, it's actually designed to create a sustainable relationship that um, isn't going to have you always trying trying to even the score. And so, um, so I can tell you a little bit about um, sort of what some of those components. So, a lot of the clients who are using these are social entrepreneurs. They're involved in conscious business of some kind, conscious capitalism. There, it, there's a whole movement of you know, B corps, um, businesses out there that say uh, that they really want to stand for something. That they're not just going to make uh, money, but they're actually going to make a difference. Now, maybe it's ironic, maybe it's just perfect that they've, there's been 
several studies, and the one I particularly like is in the book Firms of Endearment uh, by Raj Sasodia, um, who's a professor at Bentley, I guess a business in, in the uh, business department, I don't know where he is, but at Bentley University. And um, Raj uh, studied companies that had a purpose that was bigger than just making the money. So, like, you know, you think of companies like um, Trader Joe's is one of my favorites, and um, and Whole Foods is one of the ones that um, that they studied, and um, Southwest Airlines, I love Southwest Airlines, that, you know, the companies that people love to love, um, they studied those 28 companies, and they had, like, a purpose statement that said who they were and that they aligned with, and they had um, uh, a broad view of who their stakeholders were. So it wasn't just their stockholders. They they saw that uh, that their stakeholders included their employees and and their customers and you know a much broader view of their stakeholders. The uh, culture of the company was um, aimed at being more conscious, and the leaders were more conscious. So those are sort of the components of conscious capitalism, and um, and having that the companies made. I think it was um, um, the, over the ten years they studied them, they made a, um, a profit of over a thousand percent. I may not be saying that right, but anyway, they, they had like they made five times more than the S and P five hundred, and wow. uh, or more, more than that. So the companies that were you know were uh, at least attempting to work with a conscience and you know to stay aligned with their purpose. Right made more money many times over. So they did an they did an update of that study and that, I I get the numbers confused between the updates but they did an update and um and they found that even through the recession they did better. Well, that's so, what I mean, makes sense it's like Yeah. Yeah, cuz you know, if you if you've got to choose like I I drove a Honda for 210,000 miles with never a repair. Honda like, like I'm I am an av- walking advertisement for Honda. When you feel that way about a company, I'm a walking advertisement for Trader Joe's for Southwest Airlines, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm Right. Those, those absolutely. Are, absolutely. And, and, I, I and so they do better when the, yeah. yeah, when the economy turns down. And so 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 having that evidence, a lot of companies are starting to look at, well maybe maybe it isn't just about the shareholders after all. Maybe we really have a broader view to look at. And so the contracts that we're looking at are values and purpose-based, the conscious contracts. So we start a contract uh, by saying, like, who are you? Like, if you and I are going to go into a contract, I say, well, who are you? And what do you, what do you really value? And, um, and then, uh, you know, the same conversation with me. And, you know, and, and we, we have this conversation about why are we doing this? Like uh, Linda Alvarez, who wrote a book um, on this to- uh, topic of conscious contracts, um, her book is called Discovering Agreement. One of the things that she says is, how are we going to make the world a better place by working together? And so um, it, it starts the contract in a different place. It's not like I'm going to beat you up and get my way. It's like we're going to do something together. We're going to look to the future and see what it is that we can create together, and we're going to put this in a contract that you know states 
who we are, and why we're doing it. Now, I and that can be found in the wait. Just to segue out, because we're gonna have to do a second session of this. This is gonna be uh, wrapped up rather rather soon right now, and I'm really excited to talk more about everything else later in the next show together. But just to segue out, is that ConsciousContracts.com is where a lot of this information, I know there's an event coming up in Las Vegas too, October 11th and 12th. Yes, yes, we're doing a, we're doing a training in Las Vegas, October 11th and 12th. Um, and uh, Linda, who I mentioned, um, and Glenn Meyer, who um, is a lawyer who's also on, um, uh, he's the leader of the Conscious Capitalism Las Vegas group. Um, the three of us are actually going to teach a two-day workshop together on all of this. And, that is um, so and, exciting. It, it's a, it, it's actually really exciting. I've been uh, leading these workshops now. I, I do a, my solo one uh, around the world, and like the second largest healthcare company in the Netherlands is now um, now switching to conscious contracts. For example, I and mean, I it's such a right. It's just you've just done such a great job, and I, I can't wait to go into everything else in the second part of this. Because um, I know your TEDx is coming up too. I just don't want to lose this dream because I didn't yeah. um, reserve it for any longer. Though, you know, okay. I'll reserve longer for sure next time because this is such an important and you know topical area of conversation that you've contributed so much to. So I want to thank you again. And, and your website is ConsciousContracts.com, and um, the TEDx Washington Square.com is also the upcoming TEDx event. Right? Yeah, I'm doing that on October 15th. Wonderful. That's so exciting. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on and thank you for the listeners. This has been, you know, wonderfully informative little change from Spiritualize Yourself. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks.